Pastor Xavier Reese and maintaining a long-lasting passion for Christ. Time is a test of all things. You started the race? Great. How you doing? You're running hard? You're taking every weight of sin that's weighing you down so you can run the fastest? Are you looking straight ahead or are you always looking around? You're slowing down. Each of us as Christians have to put passion, zeal for God, for the things of God. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Crucified, beheaded, run through with a sword, or boiled in oil, the apostles of Jesus displayed the ultimate passionate love for the Savior by the horrific martyrdom they suffered. And in the case of Simon the Zealot, Pastor Xavier advises the zeal he professed for the honor of God and the purity of religion are attributes that require some careful aim in their execution. Let's listen. William Wallace was a Scotsman who defied the English and dared to fight for the freedom of Scotland at all costs. He was a pest of a fellow to the English with his constant resistance, driven by his hatred for the oppressors of his nation and people. There was a movie made of this a few years ago. The title was Braveheart. Such was Simeon, the zealot, in his former life. Prior to coming to believe in Jesus Christ, he had a hatred and resisted all foreign dominion over Israel. He is the 11th. Apostle of Jesus, according to the list in Matthew 10, 4. There is no braver man or woman than those who lay down their life for their own country and freedom. Be it during a time of war or underground resistance. But only the bravery that is a result of the work of God's Spirit in a person's life can make him brave enough to abandon all and love those he has hated passionately. That type of bravery the world does not know. That comes through the work of Jesus Christ in the heart of a person. Simon here will unfold for us as we examine him through a threefold lens. Let me give you the three. We're going to look at the man Simon the Zealot. Then we're going to look at the major parties of Simon the Zealot's day. And then we're going to finish by looking at the most important decision of Simon the Zealot. We'll begin here with the man, Simon the Zealot. We find him in the listing here of Matthew 10, as we said, the 11th apostle. One of the 12. He is also chosen after an entire night in prayer, as Luke's record tells us. He is the third group of four, the least intimate of the three groups. Remember, four in each group, the first in the list is always the leader. He is the one who we know the least about. By the way, he's never mentioned in the New Testament, except for the four lists that we find in Matthew, Mark, Luke and Acts. 
Nothing else is known. He's never mentioned. Just his name. Now, Simon, secondly, was a very common name. It means heard. The name originated from the Hebrew. You remember Simeon. Simeon was the second son of Jacob by his wife Leah, the progenitor of the tribe of Simeon in the Old Testament. Simon was his proper name, or Simeon, either way. In this, as we've seen many times, some of the people in the new as well as the old had two names. We have his first name, but then we're going to see he has a title after his name. It's not a name, but a title. Now, his name must not be confused with the other Simons that we find in the scriptures. Uh, we have Simon Peter that we don't want to confuse him with, but Simon Peter is still one of the 12 apostles. Simon, the father of Judas, who betrayed Jesus, we don't want to confuse him with that Simon. Simon Magus, Simon the Tanner, Simon the Pharisee, Simon the Cyrene, who carried the cross of Jesus, and Simon the leper are just a few that we don't want to confuse him with. So whenever we speak about a person, we want to make sure we're identifying the right one in Scripture. It was a very common name. Now, thirdly, Simon is identified as well as distinguished from all others by the title Zealot. Notice Matthew, and if you look at Mark, it would be the same thing. He calls him Simon the Canaanite, all right? That's the title there. You find that here in, Mark, in Matthew 10:4 and Mark 13, 3, 18. Now, the word Canaanite would appear to be identifying Simon as a descendant of Canaan. But this cannot be, for all the apostles of Jesus were Jews. The word is a translation. In fact, it's a transliteration of the Syriac word, Canaani. The Aramaic word is not from like some people say, the root Cana or Canaan, but it rather indicates the word zealous, jealous, or enthusiastic. The word describes Simon here as a man of zeal, jealousy, regarding his character. Luke, in Luke 6, 15, and Acts 113 calls him exactly that, Simon the Zealot. Luke very specifically and clearly tells us the nature of Simon's zeal and jealousy now. Because the word zealot there in Luke and in Acts, which Luke is still the author of Acts, identifies Simon with a group of men. They were known as the Zealots. These men were those who, in imitation of Phineas, remember Phineas in the Old Testament, where he slew Zimri and Kobai, that heathen women who, when they're in the midst of their idolatry, the Midianites were teaching the young men how they worship their gods through sexual practices, and right in the middle, as Moses is just outraged and God is wiping people out, this guy, Zimri, just walks with this sweet wiggly little thing goes by and right into the tent and they begin 
to join in in the orgy, and Phineas went in with the lance and thrust them both through. If you recall that story of the Old Testament. This is where it's believed they identified themselves with the zeal. And God said because he was so, Phineas was so zealous for God's holiness that there would never be one lacking in the priesthood of him. Because of his zeal for God. Now these individuals, whenever they found any person in the act of adultery, idolatry, blasphemy, or theft, they would immediately kill them. They would not spare anybody. They did so from the pretended zeal that they had for the honor and glory of God. Nor were they responsible or accountable to any court. Such an action was highly applauded as a very honorable thing to do under the name of zealots. This is the party that Simon belonged to. Now, it is believed that they were born out of the Maccabean period. The Maccabean period was between the Old and New Testament, the 400 years of silence. Okay, more around 167 when Antiochus Epiphany tried to wipe out the Jewish religion and he wanted uh, to just wipe them out and he slaughtered a pig and sacrificed on the altar and then the Maccabean brothers just were outraged and they began the holy war and they defeated them. So it's during this period of time that we believe the zealots rose up. They grew into a political party that swore to oppose and thwart any power that came against the Jewish nation. Simon the Zealot was a committed terrorist, an assassin. It might strike you as odd to be one of the apostles of Jesus Christ. He had vowed to the death to oppose Rome in every way, by every means, at every opportunity, as they attempted to rule over the Jewish nation. You know, when you stop and think that Matthew was a Jew collecting taxes for Rome, <laughs> Simon must have eyed Matthew more than one time. And Matthew must have felt very uncomfortable more than one time at the beginning. <laughs> Complete enemies. A hatred. Only one thing that the zealots hate more than the enemy outside the Jewish nation. It was the Jew who was working for the enemy. That was Matthew. He was a traitor. As when we studied him, we pointed that out. You know, each of us as Christians have been sent out as apostles. We are called ambassadors of Christ, as a matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians 5.20. Those who represent the kingdom, those who represent the king of kings and lord of lords. We are said to be the salt of the earth in Matthew 5.13. To cause people to thirst. Salt uh, cuts down on decay. It preserves, causes thirst. We are said to be light, so we're sent out as lights of the world in Matthew 5.14. Light dispels darkness. Light attracts. When the darkness is greater, the smallest flicker of light is seen for miles. How many of GI in World War II being out there in the bush all alone thinking that no one would see them? Pitch black. 
lit up for a smoke and a sniper picked them off miles away each of us as Christians have an obligation to hear the call of our life and respond to it regardless of our past passion and pursuit every one of these men we have studied in particular the 12 apostles had a pursuit had a passion in life but when Jesus intersected their life their lives were all over with their priorities became different. Our call will not be like others. It will be very personal, even as Paul in Acts 9. God will call you to a certain task in the kingdom of God. You are not me, and I am not you. You are not the person next to you. God has called you to a very specific task. You and you alone are the only one that can know that task as you seek the Lord. Your pastor can't tell you what it is. No one else can tell you what it is. You've got to go to God. Our call will be in view of God's enabling and gifts, as Romans 12, 3 through 5 says, according to the measure of the gift and grace and faith. He calls you. He enables you. There's no such thing as God calling you and leaving you on your own. He's not the author of confusion. Our call will bless and build up the body and others in our obedience. Ephesians 4.16 says that each member of the body doing its share, its efficiency, comes together as 100% and efficiency, and it makes the body strong, efficient, and built up. Like your physical body. If every part of your body is working, you are 100% efficient in what you're going to do, whether it be running, climbing, whatever. But if your hand is in a sling, you can't run very good. You can't climb very good. The body's hindered. And so the body, God has put together every member working in particular to strengthen, to build up. Like having a hundred batteries. If you put them together, man, you have a lot of power. But you keep cutting them down, you have less and less power. And it's the same in the body of the church of Jesus Christ. Each of us have to seek the Lord for that. Each of us as Christians have to put passion Zeal for God, for the things of God. The passion will be challenged in order to be deceived from the simplicity of the gospel, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11, 2-3. He says, I've espoused you as a chaste virgin to Christ, and I'm concerned as you be deceived even as Eve was deceived with the subtlety of the serpent. He wants to deceive you with the simplicity of the gospel. So if you don't have passion, many things will come your way. Which will win out? Your love for Christ, your passion for Christ, or the newest of things? It's a test we will all take more than one time in life. The passion that is not cultivated through the word, prayer, and service in the church will be seduced by love for the world even as demons and 2 Timothy 4.10. He loved this present world. He was Paul's sidekick. He was Paul's labor. He was Paul's partner. And he loved the present world. What did it take? Listen. Time. Time is the test of all things. You started the race? Great. How are you doing? You're running hard? You're taking every weight of, of sin that's Weighing you down so you can run the fastest. 
Are you looking straight ahead or are you always looking around? You're slowing down then. Are you stopping to take them spiritual rocks off your shoes and you're hobbling about? Be careful. A sitting object is an easy target. The enemy, like a roaring lion, is going out there seeking whom he can devour. The passion grows by spending time with Jesus. Even as the psalmist says, as a deer pants after the water brook, so pants my soul after you, O God, in Psalm 42. One. You know what it is to thirst. You're out there in the yard, your throat is dry, you've been working, and man, you just, just when you start thinking about the water more, it gets drier. <laughs> and you have to have that water. Passion for the Lord, for the things of God. They have to be cultivated. They do not happen naturally. They are supernatural. The man Simeon the Zealot was fighting a war God was not behind before he came to Christ. Oh, righteous, honorable. God wasn't in it. It was a man-made thing, a religious devotion, a religious zeal. Many like that today. The world says, oh, look at them. God says, look at who? Look at what? I'm not in it. To understand the day of Simeon, there were major parties such as Simeon's during his day. He was identified with the extreme political party, but there were many parties desiring to establish their own position, their own power in the days of Jesus, both religious and political. There always are in every age. There were the Pharisees. We read about them in the New Testament often. The name Pharisee comes from the word to separate. Appearing 100 times in the New Testament, Jesus always called them hypocrites. They were the separated ones, separated unto ritual, ceremony. They were the religious gurus in Jesus' day. They were those who stood in street corner and prayed. The ones who grabbed their robes and went through the marketplace so no sinners would touch them. The ones who got up and prayed every morning, Lord, I thank you didn't make me a Gentile or a woman. Self-righteous. They were probably about no more than 6,000 any one time. They, in their origin, were a pure and holy people. They had become separatists from the pollution of the Jewish nation's worship of idolatry. They are thought to have had their origin after the Babylonian captivity to preserve the law. Their origin, their intention was good. They knew they had gone to captivity because they broke the law. They say, we will never break the law again. So what we're going to do is we're going to build a fence around the law. So they began their interpretations of the law. And so pretend that the mic is the law, the Torah. And they built all these interpretations, and here's a pulpit. It's a fence around the law. But they got to the point to where their interpretation protected people from breaking the law 
that they began to think that the fence was more valuable and more holy than the law. And so they began to teach their commandments, their precepts as the doctrine of God. They began with good intentions, but like men, when, when you start off with God, and if you deviate one degree, the longer you travel that one degree, the more distant it gets. You have to stay on track with the Word of God. They arrived to the point of being full-blown hypocrites by the time Jesus arrived on the scene. Jesus said that they were like white sepulchers, real shiny, but inside they were full of dead men's bones. They were those who cleaned the platter on the outside in the cup, but inside they were full of dead men's bones. And yet they were considered the religious gurus of the day. They were also the Sadducees. They were the second group. The Sadducees were the materialists. And they were in charge of the temple. The business of the selling the sacrifices. The money changers. They had a little business. They charged people a little money to go shortcut through the temple. Remember Jesus turned over the tables. You always have those who in the name of God always worship the green dollar. Certainly we see it today. It's no different. It's no surprise. They were the deists of the Jewish nation. They denied the existence of angels, spirits, and the resurrection. Matthew twenty-two twenty-three tells us. In fact, remember when Paul was defending himself in Acts 23, 8, as he was defending himself before the Sanhedrin, um, he saw that there were Pharisees and Sadducees in there. And he says, why? I'm being questioned about the resurrection. And the Pharisee says, hey, we believe in the resurrection. The Sadducees said, well, we don't want nothing to do with it. So he split them up. He caused them to fight against each other. Paul was smart. They denied the oral law to be the revelation of God and deemed only the written law. They were of the priestly line. And therefore, they control the temple, as I said. It's always amazing how people who start off perhaps with good intentions, if they don't keep their eyes on the Lord, if they don't stay in the study of the Word of God, they can get so far off base. All we have to do is study church history. All we have to do is study the movements that have begun in the just from the 1900 to now. Jim Jones was right on at one time. Then he deceived a bunch of people, took them to Guyana and had them commit suicide. You see, it happens one step at a time. Interesting that John the Baptist called both the Pharisees and the Sadducees brood of vipers in Matthew 3, 7. Jesus cautioned his disciples about both parties. He said, then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees in Matthew 16, 12. Hypocrisy, materialism. We still have those around today. There are Pharisees and Sadducees in every church. Because the church of Jesus Christ is made up of people. You see, the, the church would be perfect. There's only one problem. It's made up of people. As long as you have people, you're going to have problems. Because we're the basic problem. 
were the ones that put Jesus on the cross. He did not come to save perfect people. He came to save perfectly sinful people. Pastor Xavier Reese has been leading us through a Simple Truths character study of Simon the Zealot in our current series highlighting the Twelve Apostles. And there's much more of this message to come next time. But if your schedule won't permit you to tune in, as always, you can pick up a copy. And the title you want to ask for is simply Simon the Zealot. It's available on CD for only $4. And this might be a study you'd like to pass on to someone in your church or Bible study when you're through. Now, once again, the title to ask for is Simon the Zealot, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com